All right, here we are. Here we are. Welcome, Welcome back. back. Welcome, Welcome back. back. Science in between. That's it. That's us. Yeah. I'm Scott, uh, and I'm Ollie. Yep. And uh, I guess I guess this week we kind of do a more of an in betweeny thing than a sciencey mm. thing. Mm, I mean, yeah, I think sure. it applies to everything, right? You know? it apl- it's universal. Yeah. I mean, what's yeah. funny was this weekend I was talking to somebody. And I was like, oh, you know, I, I think I'm going to talk about that in my, my podcast. And they were like, you have a, you have a podcast. I'm like, uh, and it's like a close friend, right? Yeah, it's like, I know. Well, I've only been doing it for like three years. Yeah, four. four. We're in our fourth. Oh, yeah. We're in our fourth year. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, I've been doing this thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There you go. Well, you know, uh, X or Twitter or whatever you want to call it these days, like it's now a dead thing basically, as far as I can tell. So announcing it there is like announcing like, it in, right. in like your backyard. Right. Like, hey, I've got a podcast. I have a podcast. Everyone's like, uh, wait, what's Scott yelling about over there? Yeah. yeah. So, so here's, here's, uh, let me just uh, set this up a little bit because yes, I think please. this, uh, um, so this week we're going to talk about ethics and chat GPT and mm-hmm. how this came to be uh, a colleague of mine, Greg Zerback, who's an awesome librarian at our, our our institution um he is he's like really in ai he's been like you know one of like i have a you know these folks that are like you know my uh co-presenters co-workers you know people that i just you know co-conspirators right they're always mm-hmm. like and greg has been one of those over the years where like you know he and i have intersected on a bunch of different projects and he's a super smart dude and a, a, a you know a great friend and uh he and i've been you know talking a lot about ai because it's you know a shared passion of ours as as, as it is with you yours mm-hmm. and so he went to a conference just recently um which was a librarians conference. They uh, they have something called the Associated College Libraries of Central Pennsylvania. So, ACLCP, right? I guess there's an Wait, organization. How, how many college libraries are there in Central Pennsylvania? Like there can't be hundreds. Uh that's uh, it's enough that there's an organization. Like it's not right? Pennsylvania; it's Central Pennsylvania. Right, it's Central Pennsylvania. So, uh, I mean, I'm not could... trying to I'm not trying to drag any organization here. I'm just trying to figure out like how many people okay, show well, up for this. Okay, meeting. here you really want to know? Here's the list. yeah, I do. I really do. I really want Albright, to... Alvernia, Bucknell, Dickinson, Elizabethtown, Franklin and Marshall, Gettysburg, Hack, Harrisburg University, Juniata, Kutztown, Lebanon Valley, uh, Lycoming, Messiah, Millersville. Pennsylvania College of Health Sciences, Penn State Harrisburg, Shippensburg, uh, Pennsylvania State Library of Pennsylvania. Oh, I think that's, that's a lot of Pennsylvania. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Susquehanna, uh, the Army War College, Wilson College, and York College. And and so the so Penn State main campus did not make the list, nor did any other any other Penn State campuses that are in that catchment. So well, just Penn State Harrisburg. Yeah, I said yeah. other. Yeah, yeah. So, but well, it's, but, but there central. Has to be, Lower central, like you know, lower southern, central, su- su- south central, you know. But I don't know. <laughs> what is oh, this like, LA now? Bucknell is Bucknell is you know that's up central. by you, you know. Yeah, I mean, well, Bucknell's pretty Juniata. far east of us. Yeah, I mean, is Bloom Bloomsburg's not a Bloom Bloomsburg is not on there. Okay, Susquehanna. Yeah, that's yeah. I don't know. Interesting. I okay. I have no idea. Like yeah, okay. I only know that this is an organization. They had a conference uh, just a few weeks ago, uh, and it was navigating the kaleidoscope of AI. That was Ooh, the, that yeah, was okay. the 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 nature you, of okay. their. Okay, so now I'm going to be a difficult guy again. Navigating <laughs> a kaleidoscope. I don't know. 
Okay. I'm just going to leave right. that. Yeah. I mean, you you, you know what a kaleidoscope is and you know what I navigating do. means. And those, those things do not make sense together. I was not on the conference committee. Okay. I know. I, I'm, I'm only I'm sharing really the dragging your friend. You, uh, and I hope he doesn't a, listen sure. to the podcast. I, I don't think he created the conference or, you know, the group the session, I, the session yeah. or anything. Okay. I think this is All just, right. you know, you know how this, the sausage gets made, you know, how, yeah. you know, these things happen. These, um, these, yeah. So, um, Melissa Forbes and Joseph Brandauer, I hope I'm pronouncing those correctly, uh, are librarians or faculty members from Gettysburg College and or they're from Gettysburg Co- College. And they shared uh, some ethical scenarios, six ethical scenarios around generative AI. These are things like mm. ChatGPT and mm. Claude and Bard and uh, so on. Um, and they wanted to discuss them. So what they did on their campus with, they shared these six scenarios and shared them with students mm-hmm. and shared them with faculty members and then mm-hmm. did a little bit of like, you know, data collection from that and showed the wide range of beliefs, ethical beliefs of whether this thing is, is ethically sound or not. Right. And I thought, you know, bringing those scenarios for you and I to talk about would be kind of interesting. Yes. Although we should bring on a student. That would be kind of cool. But we're well, actually or somebody who's likely to have a different opinion than the right. two of us. But we'll see. Maybe we but will I think you and I can like think think openly about some of the the ethical landmines that can happen with these. Right. Yeah. And we had we had a session last week. Greg and I did a session last week on campus with some students, and we shared these. And even amongst the students, there was a little bit of differences in terms of how they approach these scenarios. Yeah. We're sharing them on campus this week with faculty and going to do the same sort of thing just to so- kind of see where they are. I suspect that faculty are going to approach these very differently. So we'll see. Yeah. Well, yeah. I will say um, my wife, you may know her, Christine, um uh is just last night was having a thing with a student who submitted a reflection for their their field she's a field supervisor she field supervises students who are out in the field student teaching um and he submitted uh a, an assignment that was was a reflection and clearly it was AI generated. Like I put it into the AI generation detector thing. And it's like the whole thing lights up like a Christmas tree, bright red. And, uh, but, but his reply was, well, I'm trying to learn to write in a more professional tone and so on and so forth and had this whole reasoning behind it. So, um, you know, it's, it's like, it's happening all the time now that, right. that these assignments p- kids are, I, I think they don't necessarily know. So for example, at Penn state, that is now considered an, an academic integrity violation. It's not okay to use it to generate work for right. you like that. And there's a policy out there, and I, I'm not sure kids know that, but it's uh, it's yeah, it's a it's a brand new, fast changing world. Yeah, I I was uh, on the committee that drafted a a revision of our academic dishonesty policy for students, mm-hmm. and I'm currently working on the one for faculty. Interesting. Um, All right. What was cool. interesting was I just submitted uh, a friend of the show, Leslie Gates, and I just submitted an article for a review, and they asked me for a declaration of generative AI. Mm, interesting. And, you didn't and use I, it at all, or that I didn't use it. But I, I, I will say that, like, I use spell check, and uh, sometimes I use like text completion, and like sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, like technology. I'm like, yeah, that's a hit enter or you know tab, yeah. or that's AI, right? Like, I'm not using anything like chat gpt or anything to finish my sentences you know or like rewrite things or write my abstract or anything 
But I was like, no, I don't think so. But, you know, it didn't give examples. Like if you're using Grammarly, this is a violation. If you're using this, mm. this is a violation, it's like, mm. all right. So here, let, let's go through these scenarios because I think they're uh, very interesting. All right. Yes. All right. So the, the first one is a student has been assigned a research paper and can't think of an interesting topic to write about. So they asked ChatGPT to come up with 10 research questions about a subject and pick the one that sounds the most interesting to them. Hmm. You're looking at me like it's my turn to answer. So no, I'm, I'm just like, do, all right, we so are we going to do this? Are we going to hold up the number of fingers for which sure, one let's, you think? Let, or let, yeah, let's do, do that. It? Like, so, so we'll do one through five, one being this is a, okay. There's no, I have no issues with this five being, eh, this is, this is a violation. All right. This is, we'd be like, you know, we put that into the academic dishonesty range of things. Yeah. All right. And I, to me, I think what's what where I hope we get to is some sort of like I don't want to say litmus test, but at least a, a you sense. know, some a, yeah a sense of what heuristic. Word is. Yes. Yeah. Yes. All right. So you ready? Yeah. One, three, two, <laughs> three, two, one, go. All right, we both held up one for those of you who did couldn't see that out there in in the world. Yeah. Scott, I I held up my index finger and Scott yeah. held up his thumbs up. Because if you do a thumbs up on Zoom now, it it does a little pop. Oh, didn't I didn't see that? see that. I I like it's doing it for you but not for yeah. me. Well, I think I must I need to update. Yeah. That's pretty sweet though. I didn't see that. Um, all right. So why, why Scott, do you think you're just doing all the Zoom things now? I just did one Zoom thing, <laughs> two Zoom I know things. You did, I know. Like, are there others? Like, uh, those are the only two I'm aware of. Yeah, all right. Sorry. He just held up like a you from heart sign, and now yeah. it just did a heart, and it didn't yeah. do it for me again. No. All yeah. right. So um, so wh- why why do you think why, – why don't you have any problems with this? I know. I know. I know why I do. Yeah, yeah. But. I mean, I think I – think, um, you know, the, the truth of it is that that research questions a are hard even for doctoral students to generate. Amen. And um, and for, you know, a student who's maybe assigned a research paper as an undergrad, um, sometimes it's hard to even get their head around what that might be. So, I mean, I think generating 10, it, it they still have to do the intellectual work of thinking, like, which of these do I think is interesting? Which one's best connected to the assignment? Like there's there's something they have to do there. And then obviously from then on, assuming that this is the only thing they use the generative AI for, well, I mean, there's the vast majority of the work has to be done by them in almost every sense. Yeah, this is, I think we're, we're landing very similar in a very similar place where I was thinking about this. And for me, it's, you know, one of my guiding mantras as a teacher has always been, the person who does the work does the learning, whoever that mm, person is. Right. And so if I'm the one in the classroom as the teacher doing all the heavy lifting, all the work, and the students are just sitting there passively, then, I mean, I'm going to really know this stuff and the students probably not. Um, same thing here. I, I think where where I land with this is, okay, if, if for most of the real heavy lifting, the students are still going to have to do that. Right. Mm -hmm. This is just not like scaffolding them through some things that might be challenging in terms of, you know, looking and saying, okay, here's this, you know, big, huge topic of things that, you know, could be out there. Let me think of like some research questions that get me started. That's a that's a real good scaffold for some of our students, you know, 
but it still means that they're going to have to do a lot of intellectual work. So it's not robbing them of the exercise and the and the and the learning that's inherent in the, you know, if the purpose is to write the research paper, that's where they're they're going to spend the bulk of their time and energy. All right, yeah, so let's hopefully. move to the next. <clears throat> yeah. All right, a student is writing a paper on how social media affects mental health. After they find twelve or thirteen articles on their topic, they start feeling overwhelmed. So they ask a PDF reading AI tool to read them and summarize how they relate to the topic. They use those summaries to write their literature review, right? Mm-hmm. So AI is summarizing, reading, summarizing, and then the student is taking the summary and integrating them into um, into a paper, all right? Mm-hmm. Yep. You ready? Yep. I'm gonna hold up fingers, all right? Three, two, one. All right, I held up a three and Scott held up a two. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of landing middle ground on this one. Yeah. Um, because I, I could have done a three, I think. Yeah. I think, you know, certain, the students didn't see it that way. The stu- like the students, when we did this last week, they were all like zeros. I mean, ones and twos. They were all ones and twos. Um, you know, I think we're going to have, when I do this with faculty on, on, on Thursday, um, there are going to be a lot of fives here. Um, yeah. because the, it's where do you see the intellectual exercise? Mm-hmm. You know, is the intellectual exercise about, writing the summaries and reading the papers or do you see it in writing the literature review i mean the yeah. literature reviews themselves are so hard to write yeah. they're like they're the worst part of an academic paper right yeah i mean and my guess is if we're being honest like whatever summaries this ai writes is probably going to read a lot like the abstract so it's sort of like mm-hmm. okay if you if the kid just reads the abstract it's sort of like just reading the cliff notes in the old days, right? No, nobody remembers cliff notes. There's, there's some newfangled version of cliff notes that I can't even remember what they're called now, but there were yeah, some other thing. But, but for those of you who are young and don't remember cliff notes, um, they were summaries of books that had to be read in high school usually, and also in college, I guess. Probably started in college, if we're honest. But you know, so you would read. You know, I have to read a farewell to arms. Well, instead of reading a farewell to arms, you read the Cliff's Notes, which is like a summary, right. and it describes all the characters and all this stuff. So, <clears throat> I think you know, re- if if they can write a good um, literature review from those summaries, to your point, I think writing the literature review is the hard part. And and I don't think probably you can write a very good literature if you just no. if you just gave the kids the abstracts. If you said here are twelve abstracts from twelve papers, write a literature review on it, it'd probably be pretty weak. Yeah, I agree with that. And and I think that it depends on like I think it also depends on where like the students are on this. I mean, if they're like, you know, I don't know, beginning, like if they're like be- like freshmen or like, I don't know, someplace in a you know, early in a doctoral program or something like that. I think I'd probably like really push them to dig into that, like reading the full do- like papers. And now I know you and I, when we read, you know, research articles, we never read them front to back. I mean, I can't tell you the last time. I mean, it has to be something I'm really interested in to right. read from beginning to end. Yeah. I usually start with the abstract, read a little bit of the like methodology, jump to the findings, you know, and if it's something I'm already knowledgeable about, I'm not spending a whole lot of time in the lit review section at all. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just not, you know, because yeah. if it's like something that I have a whole lot of knowledge on already. I'm just like, okay, how does this advance the ball? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So expecting students to read the entire thing, I think it's going to depend on where they land in terms of their their programs. 
but I, I see like summarizing as like having something else, the gen I, the gen AI doing that for, for the students um, is, is, is robbing some of that intellectual work for them. Yeah. yeah All right. I agree. All right. All right. So do you want to keep reading or you want to jump into oh, some? Of sure. These? I'll do, I'll read this one. All right. Um, number three, a student finishes their paper, but isn't sure whether they did their Chicago style citations correctly. So they upload the paper to chat GPT and ask it to check their footnotes and bibliography. All right. You ready? All right. One, two, three. Uh, <laughs> we both held up a one. We did. Yeah. I, gosh, you know, I I find citations and bibliographies to be the bane of my existence as a mm. as a as a graduate instructor. Like yeah. my, uh, I, so much of my time is spent on, okay, you're using uh, APA six, APA seven. You Since know this. Oh gosh, and it's like if ChatGPT could help them do that, then amen. Well, yeah, exactly. And, you know, when I think of what we have, I mean, what we've had since I was in graduate school, which is like the ancient times when we wrote on stone tablets, like there were, <laughs> there was, there was EndNote back then, which is now right. morphed into to Zotero and lots of other tools for doing bibliographic work. And with that, like, A, the citation gets auto uploaded, you, you're on a website, you click a button, it puts it into your Zotero. And then when you're writing your paper, you just click where you want to put the citation and tell Zotero to put the citation that you want there. It formats both the citation and the bibliography for you automatically. So it's like, I don't even understand why this is an issue. Like this is, this is stuff that, that, that technology that computers have been doing for, for us for 20 years. So saying like, Oh, it's going to check them. Well, great. Thank goodness. Like you say, you lose your mind checking all this stuff. Well, I I think where do you want, where do you want students to like really dedicate their intellectual time and energy? Yeah. You know, if they're spending all this time focusing on, okay, is it two authors or three authors? Because that's a huge, that was a big change in APA six versus APA seventh, right? Before you, you know? go to at all, you mean? Yes. It's like you could do two and at all or three and at all. It's like, oh gosh, you know, and you could tell as soon as you look at the citations and the references, you know, which version you're using, it's like, oh, we're using seven and you're using six. And it's like, oh, if it's say, yeah, if yeah. we're dedicating our intellectual time and energy to that, then focusing on, on like, hey, you're not making a really good thesis statement is someplace, you know, that. Right. Yeah. 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 Agreed. I mean, this is similar to, you know, like you were saying, the idea of spell checkers or grammar checkers. It's like, well, those things don't do intellectual work for you. They, they, I mean, they, they get, there's an argument for knowing how to spell words, but there's also an argument for that isn't the highest priority. And if you've only got so many cycles to spend on this intellectual task, Right. We really want you wasting a lot of cycles on something that's pretty trivial. That to me is working smarter, not harder. It's like smart. Yeah. Yes. All right. You want to do the the next one? Sure. I'll do the next one. Okay. A student has a research topic in mind. They find one promising source, upload it to ChatGPT, and ask it to find nine more related sources in that scholarly conversation. They then read the articles and synthesize them for their paper. Mm-hmm. All right. Mm-hmm. You ready? Ready? Yeah. One, two, three. Oh, you got a two and I got uh, a one. 
So, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I'm I'm on the fence between one and two on this because I, I think generally speaking, fine. Like this is not a big deal, but I do think, um, I mean, I guess what I'd say maybe as a caveat is it probably depends to me a little on the, the student that we're talking about. So if this is an yeah. undergrad student, I would say this is a one. If this is a graduate student, that's where it sneaks a little higher for me, where I think like, um, being able to sort of suss out where the scholarly conversation is, is part of your job as a, as a, a scholar. Right. So I think it's a little, um, it's, and, and that's why it says a little, it's a little bit of, I would prefer not, but, um, but certainly if a student came and said that they did this, I would not scold them or, or tell them they'd done something unethical. Yeah. I've been playing around with like some of the other, AI tools out there like consensus and elicit mm-hmm. and lit maps and research rabbit stuff yeah. and lit maps is, lit maps does this. Yeah. So but if you take your Zotero library, I'll, um, you know, export it as like a bib text, you know, yeah. so it takes all of the metadata from all the articles upload it into lit maps. Uh, it'll show, like you can say, okay, I want to do this article. So I picked this article from Linda Darling Hammonds from like 2000 or something, mm-hmm. clicked on it, just just randomly just clicked on it. And it did this huge map of all of these related articles, some of which were in my Zotero library and some of them which were not. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, that's pretty cool. And so it gives you the idea of like, okay, and you click on the, the next article, like the one it you know maps to, and then it does a whole new map around that that's pretty slick, you know? And is that helping me work smarter? Yes. Um, But I also think that it requires me intellectually to go and look at that and say, is this something that's still relevant to me? You Mm -hmm. know, it's, it's sort of expediting some of the search, but it's forcing me like, I'm not just going to download all that stuff into my library. Right. That just would be, yeah, that would not save me time. Yeah. Right. No, I agree. And so maybe I would make this a one now that you've described that, because that's definitely true that, um, you know, I remember even in graduate school, I was talking to one of the guys that I worked with who was a a programmer and talking to him about developing a tool that would do that, that you could just take your library and dump it in. It would map it. And he's like, oh, yeah, that would be cool. And, you know, at the time, the technology just wasn't available. It was just too difficult. But but. You know, again, EndNote Online was doing this five, six, right. seven years Absolutely. ago. So, so it's just that it's gotten faster and easier, but it's not like that's a revolutionary technology to map literature yeah. like that. It's, it's and there was a, another tool that school. there was another tool that did that same sort of thing. It was like because what it did was it was looking at okay, you know, Scott is has this in their library mm-hmm. and you have this in your, their library. And then it compared all the libraries from all the other folks. That's not Zotero doesn't do that. Who, I don't there was so. another tool out there that did that. Okay. I don't remember that one, but yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, this idea of relational mapping um, between, you know, whether it's articles or scholars or both has, you right. know, has always been something people have been interested in. So you knew that it, once we had, sophisticated more sophisticated tools to do it that people would make it happen yeah i mean i think one of the things that people are like worried about with with that is the you know the hallucinations that ai does like it makes up stuff but i mean i think what's built into this is they find 
actual related sources and then read the articles. Like AI is not might be making up citations, but they're not making up full articles, you yeah. know. And yeah, so there's that. There's that. There's that. All right. The next one, uh, a student is working on a research paper and has been told by the professor that they need more evidence to support their argument. They query ChatGPT to find evidence that supports their current argument and then paraphrase the evidence it generates to bolster their paper. Mm-hmm. Ready? All right. Yeah. Okay. You ready? Three, two, one. Oh, look at us. We both have a three. Which is some. So, yeah, yeah you start this time. What do you – why some? Well, the, I think for me, it's the finding evidence part that, like, is where I – so it's like, okay, I – we make arguments based on having evidence. Mm-hmm. This is saying I have an argument, Right. Yeah, and then help me backtrack and find some. I'm actually now thinking about it, I'm got a four, because <laughs> what it's it's saying is okay. I have this this conclusion that I've come up with based on whatever, right? Based yeah. on whatever. Well, uh, some evidence. Know. It sounds like there's right. some evidence. Yeah. They need more evidence. Right. So they may have a piece of that. Let's say one piece of evidence. Right. Okay. So they've come to this conclusion based on one piece of evidence, and they're like, "Yeah, I believe that this thing, whatever this thing is." Help me, ChatGPT. Help me for you know find more evidence to support my conclusion. That's not how we do things. It's no. just not how we do things. Well, so let me let me ask you: if the question was modified and said the they query ChatGPT to find evidence that both supports and refutes their current argument, mm. would that change your score on this? Mm. Maybe, maybe. Maybe I'd have to think about that. Like I so what? So you picked a three. Yeah, I know? picked a three because I think for the same reason you did. I mean, you know, this is this is part of the intellectual work of of any any field, right? Is is building arguments. I mean, whether you're in science or English or or you know mathematics, it doesn't matter. Like these are all areas where human endeavor in around inquiry is about building arguments. Here's my claim. Here's my evidence and the reasoning that supports it. And as soon as you take that work away and give it to something else, um, then you're not doing that work, which means your mind is not sharpened in that way. Like you, you're, you lose an opportunity to get better at making arguments based on evidence. Um, now this, the reason this is a three and not higher for me is ChatGPT is just finding more evidence, and then they have to incorporate it into their into their argument. So it's it's not telling them. Well, at least the way the question is phrased, ChatGPT is not telling them why it supports it. It's just here is more evidence to support your claim. Um, so it's not you know it's not great. I don't love it, but it's not terrible because there's still work that has to be done by the student. Like they still have to build the reasoning to connect the claim and the evidence. So, um, and the claim is theirs. So, I mean, eh. yeah. So that's why I'm sort of in the middle. All right. All right. I, 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 yeah. Uh, I, I, so I'm, I'm on chat GPT right now. Um, yeah. And I'm putting in what evidence do people share that the earth is flat? Okay. Let's okay. see if it comes up. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. 
Okay, so they they start with uh, the overwhelming scientific evidence uh, based on a vast body of uh, uh, evidence from various fields blood, supports blood, the idea blood. that the Earth is an oblate spheroid. Yeah, However, is. some individuals claim that the Earth is flat, and they give five different arguments for why the uh, these folks say – see, and that's yeah. like how I crafted the question. Yeah. Because, yeah. Right. So, you got to get – Yeah. Yes. So one is perceived flat horizon once the yep. water's level surface, yep. flight paths, and selective interpretation of evidence. That's a that's selective that's, flight mm. paths. <laughs> what is flight paths? Some flat earthers question the flight paths of airplanes, arguing that they should be different if the earth were curved. They may also question how gravity works on a flat earth. However, these misconceptions arise from a misunderstanding of both gravity and the principles of flight. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know. I, I thought I threw that, I would throw that in there. I, I will say that one of the things that's interesting about these scenarios is because of like where they came from, they're all related to finding information yeah, and, from libraries. Right. Like, yeah, yeah what the, the work that librarians do. And, yeah. and that's really like important work. But I wonder whether like the scenarios, you know, cover there a range other, of possibilities. Right. There are actually. other scenarios. Yeah, yeah. There are other scenarios that we can be talking about. So there's one more. And this one's really librarian. This yeah. is like uh, not knocking it, but you you want to yeah, so sure, I'll, I'll read the last one. Okay. <clears throat> and I'll say I'm just uh to to um fully disclose my mother was uh was a librarian. So um you know shout out to Pat but um but you know, I, 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 so I have empathy for librarians and the work that they do. And I could imagine librarians being a little nervous about what chat GPT and similar sure. generative AI tools can do in terms of helping people, but maybe that's just the nature of it. And they'll shift more to helping people, uh, you know, produce different and better queries for these, these tools to get better at using them. But who knows? Anyway, six. We just query twice in, the, yeah, in this episode. Yeah. Thanks. I can use it again. Do you have any wow. additional queries about my query? Oh, wow. Look at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, a student has a research topic in mind and asks Gen AI to generate keyword strings, parentheses, complete with Boolean operator, operators, sorry, truncation, phrase searching logic, etc. close parentheses, and recommended databases where they can paste those search strings. I will say that one of the reasons why I wanted you to read it was because I knew I was going to struggle with either Boolean or truncation. <laughs> you said I'm fine. Or both. There. I know, but. Uh, Boolean but truncation <laughs> really would have got you. I was like, okay, I'm going to let Scott do this one. Good times. All right. You ready? Sure. One, two, three. Oh, Scott held up a two and I held up a one. Yeah. I mean, again, I'm sort of between a one and a two. I mean, I think, um, so my take on this is that, uh, you know, and this is maybe the librarian's take too, but, but learning this stuff is a really, you know, helps you understand literature and literature searches in, um, in ways that I think are important. Now, again, it's one of those things where, Maybe the first few times that you're doing it, you get more AI support. Like you treat this like a scaffold. I mean, part of the problem with these scenarios or any scenario is it doesn't give you a sense of trajectory over time. 
So right. like you can't say like, okay, if you're brand new to this, maybe you need AI to help you generate some new idea. I mean, it goes back to the first question about research questions, um, but generate some ideas. Here's some keyword strings. Here's some things that you could think about. And then hopefully you learn from that. And over time, you get better at generating your own ideas about how you might do these kinds of searches. I mean, a lot of this stuff is very narrow to librarians. So it may be that I, I'm sort of more towards a one in some regards, but because I know this is what librarians do, like I, we have we have a couple of great education librarians um, here at Penn State who are really good at sitting down with students and helping them figure out what are the right keyword strings for the searches that you're interested in and what are the right databases for you to use and how how are those databases different, which ones are good for this, which ones are good for that. Like all of that is is knowledge that they have done an amazing job in helping our students with. So part of me it does resist this a little bit because I feel like it is a skill, especially for you know, less for, again, for undergrads than grad students, but it's a skill that I think is really useful to have. Yeah. I think one of the things that people, uh, uh, I've heard talk about the whole, you know, AI movement is they're liking it to, uh, likening it to, uh, calculators. Like when calculators started, like when do we, when do we introduce calculators into students learning about mathematics? Mm -hmm. You know, usually it's after they have the basics about like arithmetic and subtraction and, you know, multiplication and all that jazz, you know, cause if we introduce it too early, then they're not developing those skills. And so mm -hmm. I think that's probably what the authors of the scenario are trying to do is to say, okay, what are the basic skills for searching? What are the basic skills for finding literature? You know, and it's about, you know, coming up with those search terms and, you know, Boolean operators and truncation and all that jazz yeah. is to be able to really think through a topic and say, what are the related things that I need to search for and how do, how best do I search that? Now for me, I, 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 differ a little bit because I don't see it the same as, you know, mathematical operations. I mean, these are things that some folks are, in, you know, are doing all the time, right? Those of us who are doing it all the time, you know, but if it's just like a one-off skill, like they're, they're doing us for a paper, mm -hmm. I, I, I don't know where I, I, I think I land a little differently with that. Yeah. Well, I think that's, I think your reasoning there is similar to my reasoning about the trajectory, right? Like if this is, if you're a PhD student who's planning to be a scholar for your career, like knowing some of this right. stuff is super useful. Um, Absolutely. But if you're, yeah, if you're a one-off undergrad doing a research paper, well, yeah, I mean, probably doesn't matter so much for you. So I do, I do think context, as we would say in almost every case, context matters. Every Absolutely. And I do think specifically there is a sense with all of these generative AI tools about trajectory, about like where is this in your path of development and how is it being used as a scaffold as a which the definition of a scaffold is that it fades, right? That you right. you begin using it and then over time it goes away. We take it right? away. Right. Yeah. So so if that's the case, then I have fewer objections to um to this in terms of, oh, well, is this doing the work for people? Well, maybe it is in the beginning because having models and having a process helps. So well, I, I think that's like, that's why we as instructors have to work with our librarians to see these sca as scaffolds and then also really 
work with our students, know our students really well to be able to take those away and understand like their trajectory in terms of where, where do they want to go and what do they want them, what do we want them to be able to do? Yep. And that's going to be different on a case by case, student by student, program by program basis. And so I know that's like a, like living in the, in, it depends world, right? It's like, oh, it depends, which is kind of like wishy-washy, but I think it does depend. Right? No. Yeah. It I absolutely mean, I think- does. Right. I think, in, in fact, I think um, it's important to say that saying that is not wishy-washy like that. Right. That's part of the problem. I mean, if we go back to some of my beef with a lot of these, you know, a, lot, a core theme of this program is that when you answer a question in a decontextualized way, to make it true for all people, what you've really done is made it true for a small group of people that were involved in making that decision. And then everybody else gets marginalized by that decision. So, so when you say it's contextual and it depends, that's, that's, that's a meaningful and equity focused choice in how to describe something, because there are very few, if anything, that are true for all people in all contexts. Amen. That's, Place the land, you know. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. land there. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. Yeah. So shout out, uh, shout out to Melissa Forbes and Joseph Brandauer for from Gettysburg College for sharing those scenarios. And you know, yeah. I want to make sure we, uh, you know, appropriately cite them. Yeah. You know, APA seven for sure. Yeah. Nothing yeah. Like, you know, maybe Chicago. I don't know. Twenty twenty three from the ACLCP. You know, yeah, which yeah. does not include Penn State, even though we are about as central as Penn State Harrisburg. Penn State Harrisburg. I know, but come on, man. Like, tell me a place that is more central to Pennsylvania than State College. Like, it's literally I'm, put here yeah. because it's central. I'm going to say that there's probably some backstory there. Yeah, you know, you right? There's got to be some sort of like, beef. you know, there's some beef. beef. Some librarian beef. Some right? librarian beef, which is very mild <laughs> and and it's like Canadian beef. It's right. very, it's, you know, very. It's, you know how many times I've dropped the narcissism of small details? <laughs> differences. <laughs> oh, small differences. That's right. I bet you that's at the heart of this. Maybe. Yeah, I don't for know. Sure. Yeah. I, yeah. I have no backstory at all. None. So. Well, maybe it's because, you know, I will say the librarians at Penn State are faculty, which is unusual. Most librarians. They are, are military. Mm, they are military. Yeah, All right. they're faculty. I was, I was told by my librarians here that that's unusual, so that's good. No, thing. every every librarian in the state system of Pennsylvania is on faculty. Is faculty? Oh, so does that mean? Yep. No, no, never mind. We're not. Yeah. Gonna, they, we're not going to do the whole promotion and tenure stuff. They yeah. do all. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Absolutely. All right. So joys, joys. You got joys. one. You're you're I leaning do. in. You got you. I you do. look excited. I think you should go first. Uh so I. I am a huge fan of a band called Beirut mm-hmm. and they're like this, you know, it's, it's basically a guy, uh, his name's, uh, was it Zach Condon? Um, okay. but he, uh, he, this is a sick, they dropped the sixth album this, this weekend. So, uh, it's Hadzel H, uh, H A D S E L. I think it's a place in, in Germany or like, so what okay. happened was, uh, he, uh, the last album was released in 2019 and they were preparing to go on a big tour and then COVID hit and then, mm-hmm. uh, and then he didn't. And, and I think that, that COVID probably hit him pretty hard, not in terms of like the actual, um, you know, disease, disease, but just like the, 
the the fact that there's a global pandemic mm. and he and he he moved to to Europe in a pretty remote place and just kind of hung out and listened to you know organs at different churches in the area he's like really into like lots of classical instruments not classical in terms of like you know like classical you know um orchestras and symphonies and things but like uh church organs and mm. you know accordions and you know sque- squeeze boxes and all that's like mixed in all the music that they play he plays um and so this this is really church organ you know informed yeah <laughs> and it's, it's beautiful it's a beautiful album it's not gonna land with everybody but it certainly lands with me i love it i just uh, this whole weekend i probably listened to the album like seven times or eight times mm-hmm. um there's there's one song that they do in a past album called uh postcards from italy that's like like speaks to my soul there's nothing like that on this album um, but it certainly resonates with me in you know great ways. So Beirut yes. had. So do you? I'm just curious because I I have heard debates um, about this amongst audiophiles and musicians and normals. Um, so I would like to know when you say you listen to the album seven times, give me a description of what that means in practice. Oh, okay, are you saying like like from a tech standpoint or no a... no no? I just mean like are you playing in the background on the speakers in the house are you putting on headphones and listening to it and like that's all you're doing is you know what's are you listening to it while you do chores uh, like so so all of the above this weekend so the first time i listened to it i i turned it on and what it was it came up in my instagram because i followed them on instagram that he was like hey we're, we dropped this new album and i was like and they had dropped a couple songs you know earlier um so i knew the album was coming i just didn't know it was this weekend mm-hmm. and so the first time i listened to it I just listened. To, I sat in a, and the house was empty. There was nobody yeah. like, you know, and so it was just me. I put it on all the speakers in the house and because we have this big Sona system. And so, yeah. so I just sat there and listened to it and listened to it from beginning to end. Then after that, I was like, okay, I want to hear that again. So, but I had some chores to do. So I put on my AirPods and walked outside and raked leaves and listened to then. And then I had to go run some errands. So I put it on the, in the car, listened to it there. So I just started to integrate it in all the other parts of my day. And so all of the above, because I feel like, you know, yeah, it's all of the above. Yeah. I mean, I think, well, I'm just fascinated in, in general around people's daily practice about anything. Like I, I think it would be, um, really interesting to just follow another human being around and watch how they <laughs> negotiate their day because i know how it's they so make different. their lunch how do they <laughs> well you know when do they wake up when do they go to bed how do they fill their time what are they listening to when they're on their headphones how often are they on their headphones are they all like i don't know anyway um you know especially scholars whom i know and who like i sort of know their for example rate of productivity and and focus, but also they're doing all this other stuff, like people who are publishing lots of papers, but also seem to be on Twitter and social media all the time. Yeah. And like, like some where of do they find the time? Yeah. So this yeah. this is like, what does their life look like? Is it like, is it miserable and full of work, and that's just the way they operate, or is it just that I don't understand how to efficiently do all those things? And so I'm sort of a, a yutz. But anyway, not not that important. I was just curious how because I oh. um. John Roderick, uh, who's who was the lead singer of a band called The Long Winters that I like um, from the 80s and 90s, um, you know, and I listen to him now mostly via podcast. But um, but he is a if I'm going to listen to music, I put it on my headphones and it's all I'm doing. Like I'm not 
puttering around the house. I'm not doing anything. And then, so it's just curious because I have rarely done that where I sit and all I'm doing is listening to the music. It's, you know, usually I'm doing something, right? I put it yeah. on in my house on the speakers or I put it on my headphones and I'm doing other stuff. Anyway. Yeah. We we have music playing in our house all the time. Yeah. And so we have like basically from the first thing in the morning to like I in my house growing up, my parents had the TV on all the time. Like yeah. it was like the first they woke up, my mom would turn on the television. And it was on. And yeah. so like way after we went to bed, it that television was like a workhorse. We had the same <laughs> television for like 15 years. It was just the workhorse. Yeah. But it never like really got a rest. It would get the, you yeah. know, you know, a few hours of sleep every night. But that yeah. was about it. But it's almost like that in our house in terms of music. Like there is okay. like we have this sono system where it's in every room of the house practically. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you can move from place to place and hear music the whole day. And yeah. and you know, it was funny, it was like last night because we're you know, it's it's November. Um, my son's like, Isn't it time that we start listening to some Christmas music in the house? <laughs> and my uh, the the lovely Mrs. Dran's like, No, no, it's not. <laughs> Post Thanksgiving, dude. Post Too early. <laughs> Too early. Yeah. I'm All right. Um, well, my joy uh, this week is is um, something that's been bringing me joy for a while, but I'm going to name it now is uh, a rarity these days, uh, which is a a local bookstore. So we have now downtown State College. For the first time, I think in a long time, we've had Webster's, which is a, a bookstore in town, but it's it's sort of a interesting hybrid restaurant used bookstore place. But there is now a new place right on Allen Street called the Squirrel and Acorn, and it is a it great is a name. And it is, and it's a great store, and it's a fascinating like the guy there curates all of it himself. It's his it's his passion project right like he's the only employee as far as i can tell he's always there um and it's just you know what you hope for from an independent bookstore it's just you know he's got curated displays and and he's got books he doesn't have a huge selection compared to you know pick your favorite or least favorite giant bookstore barnes and nobly sort of place um but you know he's he's a really interesting guy, and he's got a bunch of pens and paper in one section, so you've got all that sort of stuff in there too. So fountain pens, I'm I'm using a fountain pen now because of because of being in that store. Uh, so that's that's been sort of cool to try that out. Um, so anyway, independent yeah. bookstores, I love them, and you know I grew up in Ann Arbor, and Borders started in Ann Arbor as a as an independent bookstore in Ann Arbor way back in the '80s. Um, maybe in the seventies, I don't know, but, um, but I, but I have a warm spot in my heart for those kinds of independent bookstores where, um, where they're really just, you know, curated by people who really know books and are interested in, in sharing good ones with you. So, yeah. so yeah. If you're ever in, in the Harrisburg area, the Midtown Scholar is the best thing going. All right. It is Midtown Scholar. It, it like plan an afternoon okay. or longer. Cool. Just like like they have these catacombs, uh, it is awesome. It is nice. awesome. Yeah. All right. And the that. owner, the owner Eric Pappenfuss, was the mayor of Harrisburg for a bit. Oh, wow. Yeah. And and they have all these speakers that come all the time. It's like pretty amazing. Like like yeah, like well known like writers and scholars and stuff. It's pretty awesome. That's yeah. great. Yeah, we need we need those places. Like oof. no doubt. No doubt. All right. All right. We covered a lot of territory today. Woo. Music, Woo. ethics, bookstores. Yeah. 
Yeah. Bully, bully and searches. And truncation. And truncation. <laughs> and making, uh, making emojis with your hands on Zoom. Right, which I've got to update to fully get that. Yeah, Yeah, I'm gonna have to query how to do that. Oh yeah, but yeah, yeah, maybe a boolean query. (laughs) Oh, maybe. (laughs) All right, we'll catch you next time. In between. See you then. Bye now.